Hello and welcome to Fostering Focus from Norfolk County Council. My name is Scott and I'm the Marketing Manager for the Fostering and Adoption Service. We set up our podcast so that you, the listener, can hear firsthand from our current foster carers, social workers and team managers. We'll be discussing various topics which may help you in your decision to apply to become a foster carer. So today I'm speaking with Ariana from our learning and development team. We're going to be discussing mindfulness and how this can help both foster carers and adopters. Welcome, Ariana. Hello, nice to be here. Okay, so we want this to be a conversational piece. We don't want to be asking lots of questions. You know, it's a really interesting uh, subject. So can you firstly, can you just tell us what mindfulness is? I mean, I understand a little bit. I know it's kind of, I've been told in the past, it's kind of the way of the chimp and it sits on your shoulder and it's the one that kind of distracts you a little bit from the actual task. Would you would you kind of agree with that? What, what, what's your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would probably try to take uh, the definition from uh, one of the founders or uh, one of the the person who has introduced uh, mindfulness to first to America and then to the rest of of Europe, which is uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who has uh, described mindfulness as a practice, as a process, as a philosophy, whatever word you like to use, where you basically train your awareness and you practice your awareness so that you can pay attention to what is actually currently happening in your life. So you're not trying to control your thoughts. This is what some people think. I have to control my uh, the, the chimp or anything. This is not what it is about. It's more really to learn to acknowledge the sensations, be it thoughts, be it feelings, be it uh, any physical sensations. And you try to do this... Um, not by beating you up. Uh, you try to do this in a non-judgmental way. So really just acknowledging, hello, I'm getting really irritated and angry here. And and then the next step would be that you're not attaching yourself to that particular feeling or any other sensation. And that would give you the freedom to um, figure out your your response. And, and so the, the emphasis of mindfulness, and that's why you really, really have to practice it rec- regularly, is that you, you respond. This is what a lot of mindfulness teachers would say. You learn to respond and not to react to whatever happens in your life. And, and, and especially in... Th- the situation with the COVID pandemic that we find ourselves in now. And, you know, a lot of people are working from home uh, and in that, and, and I can kind of understand what you're saying there, but especially about the react, you know, I've kind of put myself in that, that we're not in an office environment. We're not out with family anymore. Things are being said on the phone. We're not seeing facial expressions. So how you react and, you know, you read it, you can read an email one way or the other. And when you're discussing difficult situations, Sometimes it's better to do that face to face or over the phone because you can hear what's the word I'm looking for, but you can hear that 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 how that person feels in their voice. You know, if they're not stern or or you know how they're coming across, but kind of definitely, you know, I think we've all been there. You know, you get the text message, you read it the wrong way. You get the email, yeah. you read it the wrong way. Someone posts something on social media, depending on how your mind is and how your emotions are, you will react completely differently, won't you? 
Yeah, absolutely. And mindfulness, uh, particularly if you practice it regularly, will give you the opportunity to, um, there's in, in mindfulness theory, there's always this notion of uh, there is a little break, a little gap between uh, the, the sensation you're getting or the feelings um, arising and then your your response to it. And, and you would learn in mindfulness to use that little gap and that might just be a nanosecond. You, you use that really wisely by reflecting on, on your feelings or other sensations which might come up in a, in a, conversa a conversation or in an eat through an email. That's what we we're trying to address with mindfulness. And the more you practice, the more you will get used to analyzing. And, and I'm trying to use a, an image here. So one of uh, John Kabat-Zinn, one of the uh, probably most famous mindfulness teachers, um, he uses this image of a waterfall. So you're, you're, you're watching, you're sitting behind a waterfall and the waterfall represents your, your constant thoughts. And of course, at the moment, we are, we are, a lot of people are very anxious and are constantly wrapped up in their thoughts. And what mindfulness is trying to do to just distance yourself a little mm. bit from the thoughts and understand the thoughts are not making up your entire personality or the, the life in its totality. What do you think causes these these different types of emotions of, of how we feel? I think the, the neuroscientists would say we had, to a certain extent, we hardwire ourselves uh, to, to certain uh, emotions and emotional states. So uh, the, one of the neuroscientists always says, the more you worry, the more your brain will get hardwired to worrying. So, and, and we can now, I mean, there's been an incredible amount of, of research around mindfulness. Previously, people would say, this is all a bit hippie nonsense. But now uh, the neuroscientists can show, actually, we can change um, our brain plasticity through uh, mindfulness. Because what happens if we constantly worry, neuroscientists can observe and can show and through brain scans is that our fight and flight response area gets bigger and bigger. So our mm -hmm. default reaction to anything what happens to us is being anxious or being worried. Yeah. And the, the area in our brain, the, the prefrontal cortex, is, uh, which is responsible for uh, reason and and just thinking it through, uh, gets gets smaller and smaller. And and what we want to do with mindfulness is to change that. And we want to change the, the circuits in the brain. We want to step out of this. Something happens to me and I get immediately anxious or very sad because that's my default reaction. And that's what my brain is used to. Yeah. And we want to get out of this, this repetitive circuit. Do you think um, you're one of two people, aren't you? You're either introvert or extrovert. And do you think that plays a part in mindfulness and how you approach it? I don't think so, because I, I really don't think people can be put in these two categories. I think it very much depends on the situation. You might have a default position, but uh, um, be, whether you're introvert or extrovert will also depend on the community um, you're with. And, and if you're with people you're very comfortable with, then you might find yourself being very extrovert. Um, meanwhile, when you're you're in a new situation which is alien to you and and creates a bit of anxiety, then people might describe you as very introvert. 
Yeah, that's a very good point. So I think, yeah, that's very much depends on, uh, and I, I guess everybody can can see that for themselves uh, that you that you can find yourself in in both being a bit introvert and extrovert, and and absolutely, I think mindfulness can can work for everybody. And this is, I guess, the I mean, thinking of the the current debate we have about uh, Black Lives Matter and and discrimination and inclusion. I think the beauty of mindfulness it's uh, it's in its nature. It is very inclusive and accessible for lots of people, different ages, different backgrounds, different makeups. That's, uh, yeah. I, I think, the beauty of mindfulness. No, no, I, I completely agree with that. So just sort of bringing this on, we've, we've discussed, you know, the basics of mindfulness and that. How does it help our foster carers and our adopters? So does it help them, you know, from, from a point of view, can it, can it be used to create sort of calm during turbulent and threatening emotions of, of, of what that child is going through or how can it help them you know in we've got two situations one you've got the foster care and the adopter and how they're feeling but then the other part of it is the is, is the child isn't it and and getting them on board and teaching them kind of mindfulness if we took the foster care and the adopter first yeah what would you what would you say around around that part yeah, I, generally, I would say it can help everyone, as I said, uh, never mind uh, age groups or backgrounds. And um, w- what I would say, though, as a cautionary comment is um, mindfulness, uh, although it's sometimes sold as such, is not a behavior management tool. So it's not made uh, for mm. to to uh, to get you know to, to create an environment where it makes it all easier for teachers or for other adults. Um, it's really meant as a as a tool for general well being and for dealing with what life uh, has uh, in in store for you. That's that's what it's for, and it can help. And we know because we've done uh, courses. I've done courses for foster carers who then consequently brought it back into their practice and we we've done several pilot projects here in norfolk with schools we've i've done a lot of work with early year settings and uh, the feedback we had is it helps the it helps on the adult side to reflect on their behavior so as i said when adults find themselves in a situation where they get angry or agitated or irritated by young people's behavior then they can use this notion of uh, there is a little gap before you respond to quickly reflect back what's happening here what why why am i so irritated where does this all come from and how do I want to respond wisely to this situation? That's the benefit um, for, for the foster carer. Um, foster carers and adoptive also might, might find it quite relaxing to do mm. a regular mindfulness practice and, and which will help them to come to a more general uh, balanced uh, way of life. Yeah. A lot of people would uh, report that when you do regular breathing exercises, so we would uh, use breathing, for instance, or other mindfulness techniques to basically help people to balance themselves out and, and come to a more equilibrium state of mind. And so, so that would mean you're not constantly reacting and fighting uh, situations. That doesn't mean that you can't set your boundaries, for instance. Absolutely yeah. not. But it gives you just a bit more clarity, I suppose, is the word uh, often 
used in, in mindfulness theory or in my, mindfulness writings. To say it gives you just a little bit more clarity to think about your response, which will then, of course, have an have a knock on effect on the child in your yeah. family. So, uh, so I mean, you you will find articles about mindful parents, uh, mindful children. You know, it, it's not rocket science to understand that parents, the adults in a family setting, in a community setting, can set the tone of how we are all feeling in this environment. Yes. And from uh, from the children's perspective, we know um, I did a, a mindfulness project with a high school, local high school here in, in Norfolk, I think a couple of years ago, with uh, young people who had never, ever done anything like mindfulness and mainly boys, actually, where everybody always, yes, yeah, yeah. And everybody always, and the teachers there thought, oh, the boys yeah. won't go for this. This is more like uh, things girls do. But the boys were brilliant and threw themselves into all the activities and they really enjoyed the quiet times, the, the opportunity to uh, to basically connect with themselves. We did lots of exercises around consciously moving your body. We included a little bit of yoga. We did lots of breathing, lots of focus exercise. And when we asked them five months after the little 10-week course, there were lots of them reporting that they would still use the techniques to calm them down when life got a bit wild for them. Yeah, or, or possibly stressful with like GCSEs or yep. anything coming up like exams. Yeah, it could be family yeah. issues, could be school issues, friends, issues with friends. Yeah. And that's what we, you know, effectively for the children, young people, that's what we want to achieve. Uh, children and young people have a, uh, when we look into the children's, UN children's rights, they have a right to to be supported with well-being activities so that they can learn for themselves how to keep themselves happy and well. And and that's what we want. We, we don't want them to rely on medication, on therapy, on adults their entire life. That can be, you know, that can be a short-term intervention, but eventually we want them to learn, what do I do? when life throws sad things at me or uncomfortable things what can I do how can I deal with that no and that's really that's that's kind of really interesting I suppose the big fact for me there is the that that you know they were mainly boys that wanted to do it yeah. how they used it um, how they continue to use it because you kind of often think that you know you've you know majority of boys they're going to do it and then they're not going to do anything with it after yeah. that because of the, but the fact is that they found it as a really useful tool, and I suppose that just goes to show that if you start it at a younger, well, you didn't, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are, but uh, again, that is going to put them on a really, really good path for later in life because they've already got those tools. It's, it's, you know, they are, you know, fourteen, fifteen, however old. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and that's going to mm. put them in a, on a, on a on the right path. And when they get into those difficult situations, maybe it is, you know, A-levels or like you say, friends, or it's going yeah. for that first job interview or whatever it is, you've got these tools. Whereas, you know, I, I'm in my, my, my mid forties. And uh, for me learning that now I could have done with that 20 years ago. Absolutely. And, and well, in an ideal case, like you say, we would want them to learn that in early years. Hence, we've done so, I've done so much work um, in the early years yeah. arena and we had incredible results. The children's, the parents and staff in early year settings feeding back about uh, the benefits of that. And they, they, 
even the, the very young children were very clear what the benefits for, for them were from learning breathing techniques or some yoga postures. And I did some work with a primary school this year and last year, and that with all year groups. And it was incredible to see how the young ones who were very open, very interested, took this on board and told me how much they did at home and involved their parents and their siblings. So it's more about keeping it regular so that, that people do it not just once in a, uh, in a while, yeah. but that they, they do it regularly. And, and, and that's when they would, that, that's for, for everyone, actually, not just for children. That's when uh, everyone would rake in the benefits. If it's part of your life uh, in the same way as you brush your teeth and you do other things, re- what you do regularly in your life, um, you learn how to breathe and to meditate yeah. and to do some yoga postures. And if we manage to get this across as a as an enjoyable, fun activity and nothing what is a chore or is, is uncomfortable, then children, young people will definitely join in. There's no two means about it, really. No, and uh, it, it's just, you know, the, these are these are real you know, simple tools that you can use yeah. as long as you're taught to use them in the right way. Like you, like you mentioned, there's plenty of websites out there. There's plenty of courses where they will say it will do this, this, yeah. this, and this, but you need to adopt it, don't you? You need to adopt it and you need to utilize it and it needs to become part of your sort of daily life. And it's not having that regular 10.30 window, yeah. 3.30 window, 6 o'clock window, I'm going to do my mindfulness now. It's about doing it throughout the day when you need it, not I'm just going to do it for 15 minutes now or I'm going to do it for half an hour. It's when you need it and you realise that your mind's drifting. Absolutely. And and I think I think it's really important that everybody who works with children and young people has a good understanding. So if we would do more education for the people who actually work with children and young people, this could be a very, actually also a very cheap intervention because it's not very expensive to, to do mindfulness. You don't need anything mm. for it. You don't need any equipment. Some teenagers uh, might like some apps and, and the teenagers I work with quite enjoy some of the mindfulness apps out there, yeah. but you don't necessarily need that. So you can, all you, you can do is just learn some breathing techniques and some other mindfulness techniques, which are not very costly. So the important bit would, uh, would be that we get this across to teenagers and to children, wherever we can, basically, and that we train staff um, to encourage and, and role model it, that would be a good thing if, if um, the teenagers uh, see adults doing this as well. Yeah. That would be really great. Over the, the COVID uh, lockdown period, we did for the first time, we offered a, a pilot project for teenagers on Zoom. Uh, so we did mindfulness and yoga in this case. We did a combination for teenagers on Zoom and we were unsure and a bit unease how this would work and and actually we, we did it for I think 14 or 15 weeks and we had 12 any, at any given time 12 to 14 young people from very different backgrounds wow. and boys and girls and and people transitioning gender transitioning and it was a very different uh, very diverse group and it was incredible to see how the young people responded to all the exercises. They'd never done anything like that. Mm. 
and how they uh, built a community, even though it was the virtual community. And and it was really heartwarming when we did a feedback with them to to hear and and to see how they applied had applied this in their day to day life and how it had helped them all these techniques um, dealing with anxieties in lockdown or anxieties yeah. going back to school after the summer holidays. Incredible. That is, I was about to say, took the words out of my mouth. That's that's incredible. Um, and just finally to finish on, Ariana, the courses, they're available on the Learning and Development Hub for our foster carers. And I, I take it they're available as well for the children, like you've just like you've just mentioned. Yeah, we haven't done anything for children. We have done, uh, we had an, uh, for the adoption service, we had a lovely and very successful teenagers yoga group, but that was just for the adoption service. We haven't done anything with foster children yet, although we had lots of plans before lockdown to maybe have a retreat day and have a whole day doing various mindfulness activities. But um, I've trained quite a few foster carers and, and lots of them have very successfully and very enthusiastically tried uh, the different techniques uh, they had learned on the course. And the courses will be on offer as a rolling program, but we will probably hold back till we can do it face-to-face again. We'll have to see about it. We might do a little bit on Zoom, depending what the need and the wishes are. Okay, so to any of our foster carers that are listening, you know, drop us an email if it's something that you'd be interested in. Also, um, if you think your young person would be interested in it, be it your foster child or your, your birth child, we'd love to know because then we can start to get something going and create a bit of momentum for that to help to help both of them. I'd just like to say a big thank you to you, to Ariana, for what a fantastic perspective of what mindfulness is how that can help our foster carers, adopters and the children. Uh, and just a big thank you again, Ariana. Oh, that's really lovely. And thank you for having me here. And I, I want to say if every, if there's anybody out there, foster carers, foster children, adoptive um, parents, children, whatever, who would like to do something on Zoom virtually and they feel that would be a help, then do let me know or let, let Scott know and we'll put something together. We can always do that quite spontaneously. No, that that would be fantastic. Please subscribe to our podcast so that you are notified of our next episode. Until next time, this has been Fostering Focus.